Welcome to Hear the Spear. We got another episode for you guys tonight. Um, I'm Logan Robinson. I'm here with my co-founder, Ethan Vaughn. Um, we're going to speak a little bit of instant reaction from the FSU Miami game. Um, the Knowles lost at home in Doak Campbell Stadium 24-20. to um, There's definitely a lot to talk about. Um, the Knowles are now one and three. <laughs> it's a little, it's, it's strange saying that now, Ethan, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's honestly pretty ridiculous. Uh, if you just think about what has happened in the last month and a half to this Florida State program, it's pretty devastating. You come into the year with a game of the century on your hands between number one Alabama and number three Florida State, and then you get through the first six weeks of the season, and Florida State is one and three. Um, it's just pretty, pretty ridiculous what's went on in the last month. And it kind of gives you a peek into where FSU is as a program right now. There, there's quite a bit to be done to get this back on track. Yeah. It's, it was kind of a big heartbreaker for a lot of the Knowles too. Cause I mean, they score Florida state scores with Auden. Um, and then you kind of be like, all right, defense will show up. Um, they were applying pressure. Sweat was looking good. He was getting after the quarterback, and then they just drive down. And there was a lot of lot of interesting thoughts on that defensive play by Florida State, don't you think? The one to win the game, I just – I honestly – Charles Kelly has such a, a record of being absolutely atrocious in terms of calling defensive plays – down the stretch, down the down the real money stretch of games in the fourth quarter, that it's just it's ridiculous. Uh, and I, I really need to go back and look and see what all games. But when you think about it, I know just off the top of my head, this game, um, the Clemson game last year, the Michigan game last year, that defense gave up two touch two late touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And, and just couldn't – and just Michigan was just driving down the field same way that Clemson did in the game last year to win the game when Florida State had had a lead. Same way tonight. I mean, I don't know how you go as a defense. You can't explain as a defense how you go from allowing – I think it was something around two yards per play in the first half to just being completely run off the field in the fourth quarter – it just doesn't make sense because the, the talent was clearly there to, and the game plan was clearly there to to just shut that Miami offense down in the first half. And yet, look what happens down the stretch when you really need to stop. It was difficult watching that because me and you, we actually sat together, and we were watching, you know, the subs coming in, and it it was there was one play by what was it it was Tavares and he was you you could tell from the stands that he was going in for the blitz I mean his body was leaning towards going towards the quarterback he was out um out wide and he was coming in and it it's just miscommunication maybe with the guy behind him because it, it wasn't even I don't even think it was a miscommunication I think what you saw happen on that play was Miami ran a hard count so basically, on that hard count, Tavares showed that he was blitzing. He leaned and took a couple mini steps. And, and even I, I was in the stands, and everybody around me knew, like we all knew that Tavares McFadden was blitzing. And I can guarantee you that that Miami quarterback knew that Tavares McFadden was blitzing. And I, I bet, I, if I had to guess, I'd say he audibled in to that play, which is basically a screen pass to the, the Miami running back right into the area that McFadden had vacated in the zone. Yep. And basically what happened is that that running back gets in there, catches that ball, and, and that's before someone has time to rotate over into McFadden's zone, and there you go. You got a 40-yard play. I think, honestly, we should, we should kind of analyze this as the tale of two halves so we can talk about the first half. And um, I, I don't know, what, what did you think about the first half? Because um, at halftime, Florida State went in with a 3-0 lead. I expected, I mean, I expected going into this game that Florida State would lose um, just because there's not, can't do anything offensive-wise. In the first half, if you're not scoring 
more than three points. I mean, it's just it's not going to work. Um, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of fans were very worried. I mean, it, it was stressful for everybody. It was almost stressful for a lot of fans last weekend. I mean, when your offense isn't scoring a lot of points, it becomes a it's a big big problem. Um, but I, the the first half was really. I think Blackman had a really hard time. Um, he he was. He was just throwing balls that were in double coverage, and it was just not even needed to go there. Those balls just needed to go over the sideline or definitely to a different wide receiver. He left some guys wide open. He didn't even see them. Um, I know me and you were talking about it, and we both agreed on that. Um, It was kind of a big change in the second half, um, which we can talk about the whole towel thing um, with them. Uh, hiding the calls on the sideline because we've seen FSU do that before, but we'll get into that later. But I think Blackman had a really hard time, and that affected the offense uh, badly. But I will say, Jack Westpatrick, um, he he's impressing me and a lot of FSU fans. You, I was I was just kind of shell shocked from how many how much dislike he gets on social media and stuff. Um, but at the game, 80,000 people or, you know, 75,000 of Noel fans, they were up on their feet cheering, up on their feet cheering for him. Um, and I think that's a good thing for him to gain confidence and stuff. And I, I really like the way that he played and it kind of gives you some well, promise. I think stuff. the biggest thing on Jacquez, I, I don't know. I know a lot of people, like, I guess, give the appearance that they hate on him. But I think the thing with Jacquez is that, Jacquez is is a type of running back that has a certain situation that he's good in. Uh, when the offensive line is able to get a guy like him holes to run to, he's going he's going to to get through those holes. And once he can reach that top speed and get going, you can see him do what he did today and run over guys and have some tough runs. I think um, like today the offensive line blocked well enough that he was able to be successful. I think if you run into offensive lines that are that get more penetration than Miami's did today, that's when he's not as successful. So I don't know if anybody strictly hates on him and and thinks he's, you know, a bad player. It's just kind of realizing that he has a certain type of situation that he's that he's best in. But I mean, we need to get, get back on topic in terms of the game. Uh in the first half, Florida State's running game really was pretty pretty good. I think they have a, a, over 100 rushing yards in the first half, but there's a couple chunk plays where maybe most of those yards um, came in, and uh, so the Jacquez and Acres both look good in the first half. Uh, my takeaway is just Blackman. He's just not there yet. In that first half, there was receivers open, and as of now, he is he's not an anticipation thrower. He's not an anticipatory thrower at all, like in any sense of the word. When he throws to a, when he throws. Very rarely does he, he 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 sometimes there's a couple times a day where he threw into double coverage, but other than that, most of his completions where you look at his completions, they're two guys that are like open with no guy no defenders within a couple yards of him. He's not fitting balls into tight windows yet. He he's simply making throws when they're clearly open. And um I think we saw some of the limitations of that in the first half when you got a defense that's that's not leaving guys wide open for you to throw to. He's very hesitant, and it leads to those sacks and holding the ball for uh, a really long amount of time. And then onto the defense in the first half. The defense was really good. They shut Miami down to the tune of under two yards of play, I want to say. The defensive line w- was great. And that's the biggest thing to me is that I think um, FSU's defensive line was getting a little bit more pressure in the first half, and it kind of um, kept – Miami from hitting those throws to Barrios that you saw in the second half that really jump-started their offense. Uh, Rozier never felt comfortable, and, and they were able to to kind of just disrupt that. So, I mean, the defense was amazing in the in the first half. They they looked like the, the their play in the first half matched up what they sh- with what they should be on paper in terms of having six or seven five-star starters on that side of the ball. Um, and it, that just didn't occur in the second half. And we can segue a good way to segue into that. Do you, um, quick what question. did you think? <clears throat> Do you think that Jimbo's um, kind of got it figured out now between his running back uh, situation, um, his rotation with them? Do you think he's starting to get that? Um, I don't know. 
I think it was a lot better today than it has been in the past. I've been questioning his decisions with the way he was handling that rotation over the last couple of games in terms of, like, Jacquez Patrick, that's a big boy. If he breaks off a 50-yard run, you probably don't need to run him on the next play because he's probably tired and he's not going to give you, you know, he's just not going to be able to give you another all-out run the next play. So in that situation, it's probably a good time to put Akers in and and try something with that. And and then oh, not only that is, is when you get a guy that, that's kind of – that's getting hot, like, you know, breaking off a 10-yard run or a 15-yard run, uh, they were taking them out and, and switching them. And also they were a little too, I think, obvious with their switches. And they were getting in – they were getting Patrick in the game when they were planning on um, passing the ball and on, like, third down. And so I think that it was a little bit predictable. You could kind of tell what they were going to do. So uh, I definitely think it worked a lot better today. Uh, they seemed to both kind of get in a rhythm, and, and the the carries were I, – I think Akers got a majority of the carries, but Patrick was hurt a little bit there. But I would give Akers a majority of the carries, but not something crazy, something not, – not like two to one. Probably like – I don't know. If, if you got Akers getting 20 carries, probably give Jaquez like 12 or 13. So I think something like that, that kind of split right there is what I would do if I was Jimbo going forward. Um, yeah, I just, what do you think about the second half? I mean, what all went wrong and what all went right? It was like a tale of two halves. Thought, the offense kicked it into gear. And as the offense kicked it into gear, the defense, the <laughs> wheels fell back. off. So this, it I switched mean, backwards, for, you know, it seems that's how it was. What was it? 20, it was James, James Winston's last year and either the offense would do good in the game in that game, or the defense would, or the defense would uh, do good, or offense would do bad. It was just fifty-fifty. But in in this game, it was first half. You know, defense was fine, hanging in there, and then just fell fell over. And I, it's it's always interesting to me about why that happened. Maybe uh, Mark Drake and them just figured it out in halftime, and I don't know. It, I just don't. I just don't understand. Um, a lot of things coaching wise before saying, I mean, we can talk about this later. I don't want to go off topic, but there's a lot of, a lot well, of I think, I think it's definitely easy to identify. Well, my main problem is that in the second half, Braxton Berrios single-handedly carried that <laughs> Miami offense. And, and here's the commonality. Here's the thing. You got Kyle Myers covering him in the slot mm-hmm. and Kyle Myers is a good player in his own right. But it was pretty clear that he just did not have what it took tonight to stick with Braxton Berrios and limit him. And I think there's two. it's kind of twofold. So yeah, he had some issues with just in general being able to run with the guy. But I also think part of it is, is that Florida State plays their slot cornerback, which is you know their star essentially is what Myers plays. Mm-hmm. You, they're playing him about six yards off this slot wide receiver on most plays. So you got this guy who is, you know, like I guess he's like the second coming of Wes Welker. I mean, he's a pretty pretty good receiver, mm-hmm. uh, probably their best receiver in terms of just being all around consistent. And you're you're letting him get a free release on every single play. Like there's a problem with that. You need to get up in his face, make it tough for him to get off the line. And, and press him occasionally just to kind of throw him off his rhythm. I mean, with a guy of that caliber who's who's kind of that shifty and a pretty good route runner, it's going to be nigh on impossible to, to stop him and to stay with him when he's getting a, you're letting him get a free release every single play. And then the other part of that is once it became clear that Kyle Myers was not able to defend Braxton Berrios, there should have been an adjustment and there wasn't. The easiest adjustment, and it's very simple, was, and you saw some of it already in the game, was that you've got Stanford Samuels who had a pick in the game. You slide him and you play him opposite of Tavares McFadden at corner, and you bring Levante Taylor into the star position to cover Braxton Berrios. Yeah. I think that Levante Taylor is better equipped to, to play defense against a guy like Braxton Berrios. He's quick. He's a little bit – he's smaller than, than Myers is. But he's quicker, and Berrios is not a gigantic receiver. He's probably 5'9", 5'10". So, I mean, the the matchup there isn't an issue. And Levante Taylor was covering a 6'5 receiver all night in in Cager. So, I mean, he proved himself 
He did. I, I that one play he made, I, I was impressed. <laughs> and you could definitely tell, uh, see the height difference too, even from the stands. It's it's pretty incredible. And I thought he did a great job. I think I agree with you. I do think that um, Levante Taylor would have stuck a lot better with Barrios. I kind of think a Barrios like uh, Switzer from North Carolina, like how he played against very similar, State. very similar. And Switzer killed yeah. Florida State last year. Yeah, uh, the same way. So yeah, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I think those two are close to the, the same. Yeah, and it, it just seems to be that thing. Switzer's that... probably a little bit more, more I guess, athletic, but they're very similar in their styles of play. Yeah, exactly. Both of those guys would kill it for the Patriots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brady would like to throw to him. I would think Brady needs a lot of help. I'm just gonna bring right up now. some stats here. So I'm, I'm gonna ask you some questions and let's see. See okay. if you can you nail it. It's kind of guess the stat here. Okay. All right. So who had more first downs in the game? Oh, definitely not Florida State. Incorrect. Twenty-two to twenty, Florida State. Mm-hmm. So gosh, you got, that, that just shows you. How, I mean, me and you're sitting the in the stands. Me and you are sitting in the stands, and we were like, or at least I was telling the guy next to me, I was like, all right, well, all right, Florida State's about to start their drive. It's going to end with the punt. Don't oh, I know. Whatever, it, it, don't go crazy. You know, it just, it's it kind of it's, it's insane. And and so Florida State was five of fifteen on third down conversions. Not got good enough. Only thirty three percent. They outgained Miami by let's see. So they outgained Miami by seventy yards. No, no, no. Don't worry. They outgained about Miami it. by sixty nine yards. Jeez. Um. Malik Rozier for um, Miami was only 19 of 44, but yeah. for 284 yards. Yeah. And Blackman was 728 for 203 for Florida State. And most of um, those yards came from that last uh, possession. Oh, yeah. And, and the biggest, the last couple possessions, they drove straight down the field just throwing the ball. Yeah. And then here's the biggest thing. If you would have read through all these stats for me, I would say there's no way that Florida State loses this game. Because Florida State outrushed Miami. And Florida State put 203 rushing yards on the board. Jeez. 203. Yeah, and Cam Miami had put 80. Miami averaged 2.9 yards per rush. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that 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 impressed me too. I mean, I guess you don't really say. I mean, FSU's got the talent, but I mean, to stop uh, Miami's rush, um, I thought that 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 oh, it definitely kind of surprised me a little bit um but i mean like, I, it's I a rivalry was... game i mean they wake up and i think after i will i meant to say this earlier about the first half i think cam Akers bulldozing over the miami db really woke up that fsu sideline and they're like oh wait we're in a rivalry game guys let's get hype let's Let's yeah, no, that, you definitely that that game had like a different feel after, after that. that after that, then it started getting nasty. Yeah, it was it was it was a much needed thing, and that was from your freshman running back. Um, that just he just he threw, <laughs> it, the whole crowd loved it. You know, it's the whole boom. You know, and it, it, that whole sideline. That's when they're like, "All right, let's play some friggin' football. Let's hit people." Ugh. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a tough loss to swallow. I mean, I honestly thought that during that game, I thought it was going to be over just the way the offense was playing as soon as Miami went up 10-3. But then something happened with the offense, and it kicked into gear. They, I think, you know, you mentioned with that to- the towels coming up. I think, I mean, I honestly, if that was a problem, if Miami stealing signs from Florida State was a problem, I honestly have no sympathy yeah, cause just coaching, because it's happened coaching. to Florida State before, and the yeah. fact that they don't just do, they should just do it automatically at this point in time because it happened in the national championship game. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's happened before, and it's just, you know, at this point in time, it's they should just do it automatically. I mean, if you're if you're gonna cost yourself a whole, I guess half, if that's really what it was, because it did seem to make a difference. If you're gonna cost your whole your sat yourself a whole half of offensive futility just because you're not hiding your signs. I mean, just do it off the bat and, and make it easier. But um, aside from that, I just say that I I don't know. I'm the offense kicked in the gear. Cam, I will say I think Cam Akers grew up today. In the first couple of games you saw some some times where he 
was kind of I don't, forcing the bill too much, just not running north and south. Yeah. And he's not going to be a total north and south runner because he has the speed to get outside and stuff like that. But just just trying to bounce out everything outside. And today he was really hitting the creases. And I think he took a step forward in his development today. Um, yeah. And that, that was impressive. And then Blackman, I mean, I thought for sure Blackman's confidence was going to be absolutely shot to pieces yeah. after he threw that second interception. Because that, that was two interceptions and two pass plays. I thought for sure that that was going to be the end of that. And it wasn't. I mean, to his credit, he bounced back, and he made some big-time throws down the down the stretch. And it's just such a shame that the defense went from playing lights out to just letting their, you know. It, it's hard for me to say they let their offense down because their offense kind of let them down in the first half. But, I mean, it's just one of those things when you have the game not one, but when you have a great opportunity and your offense has bounced back and gave you opportunity to win and and kind of, I don't know, they paid you back for what you did in the first half and you just can't pay them back. I mean, it's just become a theme. Charles Kelly cannot call a defense down the stretch, and that's evident by the fact that th- that last play on the touchdown, it is absolutely inexcusable to be playing the defense that Florida State was. Florida State played was playing press man, on uh, on the yeah. outsides, their corners, and no safety help. Now, I might agree with that on one, like I guess one scenario. If they weren't in field goal range and you were trying to keep them out of field goal range, I guess I can understand kind of loading up and trying to get some pressure on the quarterback. But the, they're already in field goal range. Just keeping them at the line does nothing. You just at that point in time the focus shifts to keeping them out of the end zone, and that defense right there is. Like exactly what you don't want to run because it just puts your guys on an island yeah. against six wide receivers. And when you do that, like my, T- Tavares wasn't even in horrible position on that play. You know, he was there. Yeah. It just – It sucks it, that he is having a great game and then that happens. Although he was lucky at some time – at some I think you got He was lucky. I'm just – I really do not like that FSU's – it must be how they're taught. But I really do not like that FSU's cornerbacks are taught to not look back for the ball. Yeah, he never does. That. It limit and see you see the downsides of that on that play that w- the winning touchdown came from. Yeah, and then the, the fact per, that, pa- that pass interference too. Sorry, yeah. pass interference earlier in the game that that played a role. Did they get a field goal on that drive? I don't I don't remember, but I, I can't know remember. it was it I was. Know a, which one you're talking about? Yeah. But no, 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 because it was in the first half and they didn't score in the first yeah. half, so no, get a field goal. But I'm just just. It really does bring to light. I think that last play shows exactly what happens when you don't look back for the football. Because when you don't look back for the football, you you do not look back for the football. Those back shoulder throws, you become susceptible susceptible to them because you you're not able. You're playing the guy's body, and you don't have time to react when he turns, flips his hips, and goes to catch on the back shoulder. You just don't have time to react because Tavares McFadden was in pretty like almost perfect position. In terms of being right there with the receiver, but when you don't turn your head, you you let you you take your ability to react to the ball out of the equation, and when that happens, you're susceptible to having the receivers just make plays like that. And and I think I, I just I would never teach my guys to to not look back <laughs> for the ball. Yeah, so. I, I I don't know where the coaching would be. Not I've never when I played football in middle school and high school. I mean, I know it's middle middle school and high school, but I mean, I was taught you look back at the ball. I mean, it's I just don't. And some some coaches in the, in college, and it's not just Florida State coaches that teach it this way. I just don't agree with it. I don't. I think it leaves yourself. I I just think there's so many plays that can be made when you have your head turned that I just don't like when when you're when you're facing away from the ball, you have to react to the receiver's hands. That's what you're taught to do is basically find their hands and, and and deflect the ball. But I just don't – there's just so many things that can – it just allows the – when only one of the two players that is in play on, on a play like that can see the ball, it gives them an advantage yeah. that that really you saw just come into fruition there. But I, I just it, – it, I've seen enough, I think, most of Florida State fans and, and everybody who's – Oh, you kind of involved in the program has just seen enough out of Charles Kelly. Uh, it's pretty clear at this point. And the thing is, is the dude is not atrocious. He is not atrocious over 
the whole game. And I think uh, that's why he's been kept around this long because he's not god awful. But he has proven that he is extremely bad going down the stretch, and you just can't have that, especially when your defense has been playing well and proven itself to be capable of holding a Miami offense that, quite frankly, I don't think is that good to to what they did in the first half, and then just not being able to stop an offense on on the last two drives. I th- I thought Sweat had a great game. Um, I think Sweat did. Yeah, I think, no, I, I think he's. I don't know if he's going to keep it up with the rhythm because he doesn't really have a good consistency, but it would be promising for Florida State to see Sweat do this on a consistent basis because he was a, he re, he was wreaking havoc for that offensive line and getting by him and definitely for the quarterback. I mean, it, it was fun watching him. I'd, I'd sit there and watch him for a couple plays, and I'd watch Marvin Wilson too, which he got a lot of reps during the game. Um, I know me and you talked about it in the stands, and you didn't really like that he was going in at some points, but I think we did – end up agreeing that he did he does plug up two offensive linemen up there. Yeah, the that's the thing. Right now right now Marv is he's a space eater. Yeah. You know, you got you got two really good defensive tackles in Naughty and Christmas and those guys are a little bit more athletic right now in terms of being able to get penetration and get into the backfield and cause, you know, some havoc. Right now Marv I think he still needs to drop a little bit of weight. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. still he's pretty explosive, but but he's I, just not get he's not getting that penetration yet. So yeah, I you like, know I I think you know he's got it. He he definitely can play some. He's just you know he's not like a starting caliber player yet. But there's not many players that would be starting ahead of <laughs> Naughty and Christmas. You know across the country, and that's really what makes this start. So I guess we can now we can get into the just the long term impact on this program. But the fact that this team on paper is just so talented and they they just I mean it it's the start is unexcusable. This team is is so talented on the defensive side of the ball, like I said earlier, six or seven five star recruits. And I I just feel like it, it's it's coaching and and some of them a couple are just kind of I just feel like you don't get consistent effort from them. Um, maybe Matthew to, Thomas there. <laughs> Matthew Thomas. I, I, I don't think T-Mac. Pugue, T-Mac is... I, I'm, inter- I'm surprised. I picked Pugue to be my standout breakout player for Florida State this year, at least definitely defensively. And Well, that was all he, the hype coming out of spring. Yeah, yeah. Jimbo was it, talking all about him. I mean, we know Jimbo talks a lot yeah, about Jimbo stuff. Talk, and we, Jimbo talks, <laughs> But he was awarded the MVP of the spring and all that, so I was like, I'm definitely keeping my eye on him, and I don't even hear his name ever. I mean, he plays quite a bit, but you're right. No splash plays, no sacks. Um, Which is, I mean, I guess you'd have to watch film and see if he's causing stuff. And I mean, quiet. another thing is um, Dontavious Jackson. There, there. I yeah. guarantee you that he will be transferring out of the program. Something's going on after you the think? season. I guarantee he he's um, on Twitter quoting tweets and talking about how he was running with the first teamers and in, in warmups, and then he only played two plays tonight. And he posted free five on his Instagram story after the game. Mm, uh, I guarantee yeah. you, he is. I, I'm not, I guess. I guess I'm not going to say I guarantee that he's going to transfer out. And uh, but I, I mean, it's looking like that, that might that's that might be the scenario. That's a problem um, because they, and, it, and, they, and re, it, go ahead. Both of your linebackers are seniors, and Dontavious Jackson is a darn good player. He mm. was extremely impressive last week when Hoskins was out. I just yeah. can't fathom why you don't give this guy some more looks, and you're going to end up. If he transfers out, you're going to end up losing a really good linebacker in a, in, a, in a season where you're going to be replacing both of your starting linebackers Yeah, from a season ago. Yeah, that, that that's going to be a problem because, you know, um, if any of our listeners don't know, um, the team usually takes away social media, at least Twitter, um, so they don't tweet anything throughout the season. Um but if if a player is doing that and he's wanting to you know get his word out and maybe let it send over to the coaching staff or something that that's that that's a problem and that's a problem not just for the coaches but his teammates. Um, it's just not it's not a good look and that, that that's something to keep an eye on for the coming weeks. That's for sure because I, I don't understand why he wasn't in there. You said did you say that he was only in there for two plays? Two plays. Oh. Two plays. That is that's yep. that is that is. Idiotic. <laughs> that's it. That's idiotic. I mean, I. 
some people some people need a reality check with this coaching staff and there's a lot of idiotic hard-headed people on it so that's there's there has to be changes after this season um I, if I there's don't, not I, any changes then it, it's there's going to be a lot of not happy people and if there's if there's not any changes there this fan base is going to be completely alienated from this program it's yeah. going to be uh, the attendance the attendance numbers at the start of next season will not be good. I mean, the only way they get better is if the team comes back and, and, and wins games and proves themselves. But yeah, I think after from a program game, that that expects to be elite, you, you're just like nowhere near that on the field right now, and it's I mean, <laughs> it's embarrassing, uh, especially with the, like I said. I mean, it's it's impossible not to harp on the fact that Florida State is for sure one of the top five most talented teams in the country, and yet here they are. Sitting in October at one and three, it's just an indictment on where the, where the program's heading in terms of. I, I I just don't even know where to start. I I mean these people. I guess people have been certain people have been sounding the alarm bells for a couple years now, and yeah, it, it's just it's been let. Everybody, then you got the certain crowd that's like, oh no, you know they'll get it back on track, this and that, and and has argued against coaching changes. And I think that kind of mindset is what really kind of gets you behind the eight ball. Yeah, um, I think I think the in fact- college football, I mean, it, it's such a fluid sport with the nature of recruiting and the fact that you only have players for three, maybe four years. That you know, sitting on your on your haunches and and saying, uh, decent's good enough for me. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. No. I, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm very shocked that Jimbo has not fired or had to have fired. He hasn't fired a, a coach in his tenure. I know. Which which is a problem. That 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 right there, people, is a a a problem. And the one the two coaches that I think are definitely secure their jobs. Um, who I think are Odell Higgins and Brad Lonning. Those two people, I think. Yeah, they're for sure keep secure. Their, their, their I think Randy Odell. Sanders is pretty secure if yeah, he doesn't yeah. if he doesn't choose to take. Now, I don't necessarily agree with it. Um, I don't. Now, I don't. There's, I there's there a rumor that this might be his. Uh, it could. I, be. There's a rumor that he might seek a employment elsewhere in terms of if an offensive coordinator yeah. job. But I don't know if that's going to be the case after what the offenses look like this season. But <laughs> I think the redundancy, I guess, of, of Randy Sanders' job is kind of pointless. I mean, you have a, you know, a proclaimed quarterback guru in Jimbo Fisher, and he's still, I mean, he claims that Randy Sanders calls plays, and Randy Sanders does call some plays, but it's still pretty 50-50. And so I think Jimbo needs to either go two ways. I, I would prefer him to hire an offensive coordinator and and – I guess seed play calling duties to an offensive coordinator. I would prefer that to be what what happens. I think that Jimbo needs to step back and kind of take more of a CEO role, so he can, I guess, see the bigger picture within his program. Because right now, that's it's not happening. I mean, no person who's seeing the bigger picture clearly, you know, has would let their program get to this, especially an elite coach like Jimbo Fisher. You know, no coach is going to let their program get to the state that florida state's in is in right now and the thing is is it's about to get real for jimbo fisher you know he's still kind of been sitting he hasn't these last couple seasons he's been kind of sitting on his laurels um he's still been recruiting at an elite level even though the seasons haven't been fantastic they haven't been bad now this season's gonna get bad like bowl eligible yeah we gotta start eligibility is a concern bad and here's the thing when you've got a new coach at a program, at one of your rivals program, like Mark Richt is at Miami, his second year, the most the most critical point in time in this timeline is not letting a coach beat you in their first three years. After that, they can beat you. But when you have a coach in their first three years, there's still that new car smell. So there's still some you know, there's still some new blood, some new hype surrounding that program. Um, whether it be talking about it on the recruiting trail, talking about it, you know, just that general positive vibe around a program when they hire a new coach, that sense of optimism. Now, the goal is to not let a team 
with a coach in their first three years beat you. Because as soon as they beat you, they're going to start recruiting at a level that is at least close to yours, if not over yours. Now, Florida State, Miami is about to take Miami is going to start. I'm not going to say out recruit Florida State yet. They're going to give them a the problem. Way, they're going to give. FSU yeah, they're going to be a problem. problem. That fence is like as you said earlier. That <laughs> fence is going to start to mend those holes, and Florida State is going to have a really tough time pulling kids out of South Florida. Now, think about who they got from South Florida on their roster. They got a lot of guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> who, who, who do you have? You've got Tavares McFadden, Brian Burns, um, Matthew Thomas, and and there's there's others on the roster. Um, from South Florida, and that it's going to get a ha- whole lot harder. And that's been the problem is is with Florida State not really super close to their own like recruiting hotbed. They've been relying and have relied on South Florida for a lot of, of their players during during Jimbo Fisher's tenure. Devonte Freeman, um, there's others out there. Um, Lamarcus Joyner. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, but. Um, <laughs> It's gonna be a problem recruiting wise. That's for yeah. Sure. It's just it's just gonna be a problem. I mean, I've went on and, and talked about this, but now, yeah, it's going to be a problem. Kind I of mean, not really off topic, but recruiting wise, didn't Justin Fields, the nation's number one recruiting prospect uh, for 2018, right? Yeah. Um, he then he tweets something about FSU's offense. Did he tweet something? I, someone told me. I'm, I'm not sure if that's no, true. No, I never. I never saw a tweet. Or he said not a tweet, but not definitely not a tweet, but something he wrote like just FSU's offense wasn't impressing him or enough to pick them or something. I, like I don't that. know. I never saw that kind of that kind of quote. Okay. Um, but I pretty much think that's what happened. I mean, if you look, Florida State got into his recruitment a little bit late, and I don't know if it's necessarily a recruitment a recruitment that you could look at and say, you know, Florida State. Um, I don't know, should have been the favorite all along or whatever. Uh, they got in a little bit late, but they made a strong push. And to be honest, they they the situation at Florida State compared to, I guess, Georgia where he ended up committing to, Auburn and LSU a couple and Florida, a couple other schools that he considered, the situation at Florida State was like the most conducive to landing him. Yeah. Um, you have a need for a quarterback. You've got a, a lot of talent around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the the main thing is is just need for a guy like that, and he can step in and pretty much give the get the reins to a program like Florida State with all the talent surrounding him. Definitely with French and, French yeah. Bobby, you know? yeah. I mean, it gives you. Well, I mean, I think I think yeah, I think he's ultimately like a few tiers above Francois as a quarterback. I mean, he's an elite. You've got guys that that are covered recruiting for a long time, calling him the best quarterback prospect they've ever covered so i mean it's it's one of those things and florida state about a month and a half ago had worked herself into a position um, a month and a half ago two months i worked themselves into a position they were crystal ball favorites on the 247 crystal ball um yeah. it looked real good for florida state and just the the fact that they've literally played themselves out of a recruitment of that magnitude i, I cannot understate how important that recruitment is and or was to Florida State's program, getting a quarterback like that on campus, um, quarterback that level for the first time since Jameis Winston, Malik Henry, maybe you can make that argument for being you know an elite quarterback, um, and especially when Jimbo's offense is so dependent on elite quarterbacks, and the fact that they just played themselves out of that recruitment in literally a month, and 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 the fact I mean it adds insert insult to injury, the fact that that Justin Fields elects to go to a program that is signed quarterbacks in the two prior years to his class two five-star quarterbacks that's a problem i mean that, i mean that's, yeah that you is cannot unreal that, sell, that, yeah. when you cannot sell your program who has a perfect spot a perfect need and is a perfect situation for the kid when you cannot sell a quarterback on that especially when your head coach is a quarterback guru you have a major major problem in your program yeah and that's i think that's only going to grow for four say sadly yeah, the, the recruiting situation is going to I don't know if this class will totally fall apart, and it's entirely possible that it does. I mean, you could see Florida State struggle to sign a top 10 class for the first time in a while and, and potentially be in like that 15 to 18 range if, if things go the wrong way. I mean, I, I, I just, it, it's almost like surreal to look at the schedule, or look at the time of year, and look down and see that Florida State's one in three. I mean, yeah. 
Wow, and I want to bring up something, too, um, that we're kind of, I'm surprised we haven't talked about it yet, but about Keith Gavin, I think he might be done for the season. He couldn't put any weight on that knee. It's yeah, very I mean, I... worrisome for that wide receiver depth because you've got a walk-on. and um... May I add that walk-on was playing before Gavin was hurt, too. Yeah, that's right. Jared Jackson was in. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's a issue, a big issue. Yeah, um, it's gonna be interesting. If we'll have to see what the injury is, but with knees and not being able to put any weight on, and, knees that, and, and, and it up looked like nasty. Did. Yeah, I mean, it yeah, nasty. It, it was. It wasn't like a. It wasn't a non-contact injury, but he got rolled up on, and you know you hate to speculate, but he yeah he when he came out of the injury tent, there was no weight being put on. That was scary. Put on that. You know that leg, so yeah, it wasn't wasn't pretty. That's gonna be a big loss. Yeah, I just I don't know. I that's <laughs> it, it. It looks god awful right now. It really does. Um, it's it's a troubled. It's a like people are telling it, It's a troubled. It's a troubled. Uh, team I mean, right I now. think it, and and going forward, I think what I do if I was Florida State, and I, I doubt Jimbo Fisher would do this. Um, what I would do going forward is I would take a step back and there's people on this staff that have to go now the position coaches that have to go i would fire them and then i would this staff needs to get stocked with elite recruiters again and it's kind of a situation there's like a certain blueprint for building a program quick question do you think damian craig gets um i i I would love to to find it to, yeah i'd love quarterback to find quarterback wise you think, you think well, he, quarterback no. wise i do not think that that randy sanders would be one of the the guys axed if jimbo actually does fire people i really don't think that sanders is going to be one of those guys and the thing is is i don't really fault randy sanders um i think he's a pretty good coach actually but the problem is is that like i said earlier when you have that redundancy between your head coach and your quarterback's coach offensive coordinator you have that redundancy, and it it's kind of pointless. You could have a really good recruiting quarterback coach to help you get elite quarterbacks on campus, and yet you have kind of a redundant position coach that, that doesn't do a whole lot for you in terms of on the recruiting trail. And so it's kind of, I don't know, a tough – a tough situation in that regard. I would love to bring Damian Craig back on as the quarterback coach because I think it would help a lot in terms of getting another elite quarterback on the Florida State's campus as he's the one who landed Jameis Winston. Um, but like, I, but just back to the whole deal, I mean, I think you got to get elite recruiters back on staff because if things trend the way they are, um, Florida State's about to start getting out-recruited um, by Miami and uh, probably – I mean, I don't know. Florida, too, is – Florida kind of started recruiting at a higher level this year, and it pairs up in a year where, where um, Florida State is one and three in October. So, I mean, I don't know. I, hopefully, Florida, you know, hopefully Florida State is able to to beat Florida, but I mean, you got to go to Gainesville for that game, so that's not a. No, no, I'm, I'm not. I mean, and like, they go to Duke, just and then they go to Duke. They go to Duke. I mean, these games are losable. Like every single game, the way Florida State is playing, there's not like like Delaware Boston. State. They won't lose to Delaware State, and they probably won't. They won't lose to Boston College. But every other game on this schedule is, it's losable. So I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, and like I said, um, it's gonna there's be- just. I mean, it just throws the whole balance. Like when you've got a program. That struggling as Jimbo Fisher came into, you know, Florida State when it was struggling coming off those last few Bowden years. Um, there's a blueprint. You you sit back and you hire a bunch of ace recruiters on your staff. You build a staff ace recruiters. You get all those guys on campus. You you get you start recruiting at a high level. Build the excitement around your program, and then once you've kind of cemented your elite status as Florida State did in 2012, you know, they got back to being a really good program. Big win over Clemson, kind of. You know, disappointing that they they lost to NC State, but they were there. They were in the national championship discussion for a decent po- portion of the year, and then they had those changes in the 2012 offseason, and they kind of they kind of shifted away from super having super elite recruiters at every almost every single position to a little bit more coaching base to kind of start getting the most out of those guys that that you'd gotten on the campus. Now, ideally, 
after you've cemented your elite status, you're able to recruit off of that for the foreseeable future, and you're able to keep these good coaches on campus. But I think that that that's like gone now. Florida State doesn't have that benefit of the doubt in recruiting, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So I mean, it's just crazy the state of the program. It's it's absolutely insane. It it is shocking, and a lot of Noel fans are shocking. I'm interested to see the attendance for the next for the rest of the season. It's gonna be odd, awful. Um, I get the only really appealing thing is if you want to go see the Heisman winner, but the Heisman winner is probably gonna do. Some if he's really gonna bad things to your defense, yeah, defense. yeah, it's, it's not gonna be that appealing then when it's when he's gonna be running all over the place against Charles Kelly in that defense. Um, any thoughts um, going forward? I know we'll wait whenever the regular podcast will come out on Thursday night. You know, with Ryan and Corey, but I mean, first thoughts for going to Duke. Again, I mean, they should win. They, they, it, it's such a, like a conflicting ordeal because on paper, Florida State should beat like every school or every school on their schedule except Clemson, and that's pretty much it. Like on paper, if you throw down FSU's, you know who who they are, who they were as recruits, you know. If you throw that on paper, they should beat every team other than Clemson. That's just how it is. And right now, that it, you know, that's not going to happen. So, like I said, I mean, it's pretty much the same story for Duke. You go to Duke, it's another away game for your freshman quarterback. Not a super hostile environment, but uh, Duke's normally a, well, a well-coached team. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the thing that really it makes these games hard to predict is the defense. Because the defense can be elite. Um, but there's just like an inconsistent level of effort that's being brought. And you can get into how that's an issue with coaching, you know, blame it on the players, whatever you want to do. But the bottom line is there is an inconsistent amount of effort that is brought on a week-to-week basis by the defense. And there's a certain core of players that you can point fingers at in regards to, you know, who that is. So it's just like I, I have no faith. I, you know, as Ryan said on the last podcast, I thought this defense would be fired up to face Miami, and for the most part, they were. That's why they're so good in the first half. Nobody was loafing. Everybody was playing good ball. Um, in the second half, I don't think the problem was really an effort deal. It was like a it was a, a skill, and it was pretty much one matchup for the most part, and then some bad coaching. So, do you uh, think? I wonder if um, heart wise and mental wise and passion wise. Does the team continue? Are they going to continue to play hard throughout the? No, season? that's what I'm saying. I think I think they might be. It, I I don't. I think there's a very good chance that this team starts to give up, and <laughs> that's why I think like I I'm I would say that the chances that FSU misses a bowl are greater than the chances that they make a bowl this year, just because this team's one in three, and now you're now they're one in three going forward. And they're gonna. St- I think they're gonna start. I-, I just have no faith in their mental fortitude and the ability to just keep fighting and playing. You know, giving a, a good effort every week with them being one and three. I think there's certain personalities on this team. I think there's a lack of a leader on this team um, that's going to motivate them and and make them want to play on a week to week basis and kind of go all out. And it's not the nasty. It's, it's no, not, still not the nasty defense that you, you remember with FSU because there's a leader. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe I just should maybe look at watch him more. But Derwin James, I would think that he had been more. He's more vocal. Yeah, he's there, not. But he's, he's not, not very vocal, and he hasn't been very vocal this year. That's not like you know. You had Lamar. Uh, Lamar. You had uh, Lamarcus Joiner. I mean, I mean that that sucker would come out of nowhere, and you would just <laughs> you would get you would almost. Just explode with the hits that you would sh- give these kids. I mean, it it was just so fun to watch. I mean, Telvin, not, Smith, Telvin, Telvin Smith, Telvin Smith. I mean, ripping people apart. I mean, you Walker. just you don't see that. It's 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 not. And I mean, and if it is, and it's really just Derwin James, um, because you expect him, you know, just uh, you know. No, I know, and, and that's what I think. It's like a weird com. I, I I've thought about this so much. It's a weird combination. You know how a defense like like Florida State's for the third time this podcast I'm gonna mention that I have seven five star starters, <laughs> um, but it, it's insane how a defense that's so talented 
you know, is just so selective when they're dominant. You know, they should be dominant all the time because they're that good. But they're so selective when they're dominant because they don't bring it 100% of the time. And I think it's because you have a unique combination of just a lot of personalities that just don't suit themselves to being dominant on a consistent basis when they're all around each other. Now, if it's one, you know, one or two of those personalities on a, on a defense of 11, then yeah, those guys are going to have to kind of kick it up because the other guys are going to bring it and they're going to look bad if they don't. But on a defense where almost none of them do it, you know, it just makes it tough because, I mean, you can go through it. Um, you know, Josh Sweat's laid back. Does, you know, he brings it most of the time, but I mean, he's one of those guys that if you look in some of the smaller games – and, and last year he was the one of the ones that was accused of loafing, you know, UNC game that thereabouts in the season. Um, Burns is not a vocal leader. Um, Naughty's about as close as you get on the defensive line. Neither of the linebackers are. Matthew Thomas is definitely not. Uh, he wow. loafs quite quite frequently. Um, in the secondary, um, Tavares McFadden's quiet. Derwin should be. You know, Derwin's probably the, the vocal leader of the team, but even he doesn't, like, Trey, I don't think, Trey and Derwin are the, maybe the two that, you know, they'll show that. You know, uh, Levante Taylor needs to step up because I think he can fill that role. He's got a head on his shoulders to where I he think, can fill that role. Yeah. Um, he and he's got the talent to back it up, the play to back it up. His area uh, was quiet. His area was quiet to this, this tonight. It was quiet. So he did, yeah, and he, he drew a tough matchup. Yeah. To I mean, that LT, I've, I've been around him in person, yeah. and he's not a big dude, but he held Lawrence Cager, who's – like six five, you know, to pretty much nothing tonight, which is impressive because, I mean, even if a guy Levante Taylor's stature is all over Lawrence Cager, there's a chance that he can go up and you know get a ball over him, and that was just not, it didn't happen. I see so, like I mean, a, a great game. I see like a small comparison of Greg Reed with him because he tr- was trash talking a lot too. So, well, I, I think keep... that. I think that um, I think you should return punts too if you want to if you want to start on that well, conversation. He's a better corner than Greg Reed ever was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though well, that's for sure. I just like the trash talk. I think that plays a vital role in waking up your defense. I think there should be trash talking for every game. Blah blah. blah. You know, you show what you can do. You put it down on the ground on the field, and you know, you back up what you say you're going to do. And he, he he's he's starting to turn out what. You know the number one corner coming in. You know that's yeah. What, no, he's living he's, up to that talent, and, and, yeah, and that's yeah. what fans like to see. And I, I, I think, think I think just... he is. I think I, th- I think that's a promising thing that FSU fans should be happy about. That that dude's gonna Levante's gonna be a problem for a lot of wide receivers and quarterbacks. I'm going forward, yeah. which it's fun I mean, watching I him. Think we... it's, it's... Yeah, no, I mean I don't know. It's just a it's such a tough situation and and kind of a situation that it's. Pretty shocking that Florida State is in going forward. Um, yeah, I don't know if you. I don't really have anything else to hit on. No, I, I think I think I we think did a lot. Covered, <laughs> yeah, covered it pretty. Thoroughly. We need to get it out. We need to get it out so they can everybody can listen to it. Um, I, I don't. I mean, I, I, any parting shots that that you want to kind of leave as we we sign off? Um, I think I think. Um, Blackman looked promising in that second half with the towel thing. Once they were able to figure out, I don't know what was going on. I don't know if Jimbo will state anything about it or if he was asked about it tonight. Um, but I think Blackman showed some promising areas, not in the first half, but in the second half. I thought he had some throws and he got up from some hits and he was. He, I would watch him go down to the sideline and talk to his teammates with uh, Nudie. And Auden, and he would say, "Hey, get up. We're good. Let's keep going. I'm good. You know, that's a that's a promising thing that fans um, like to see, and coaches too, because they know that they can rely on that guy to continuously keep uh, their team their team on their back. And that, that's 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 a promising thing. I think it wasn't an overall great game for him, but the second half is promising. But I mean, it's just the second half. But and I think Cam Akers is going to continue to." Honestly, and and Jack was I, I I'm I give my hat off to him. I think he I think he had a good game, and I think he's starting. I think the the running back rotation is almost done being figured out from Jimbo, and that that could be a promising thing. But you know, I I, I can't I can't FSU, say for I, sure. I, was... I can't say for sure with FSC. You know, yeah, no, there's no there's no telling where this team's gonna go. This team could give up right now and go three and and 
<laughs> eight or something or four and seven. I mean, it, it's it's entirely possible. And and for y'all that are listening, we're more of reality. Like me and Ethan, we're very we are optimistic on things for Florida State, but we also like to be realistic. And I think a lot of fans are starting to turn that way too. There, there's a lot of problems. Well, I bet, yeah, and a exactly. lot of people forgot about the game that happened at Wake Forest. I mean, everybody was like, oh, I think we're going to take down Miami, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be fine. But, I mean, if you if you watch that Wake Forest game, that was a very alarming game. That was I'll say a this, though. very I will alarming say this. game. Florida State won that game by seven, and it was a tough game. And there were some ugly parts of it. Now, I will say this about that game. That offensive line is entirely different when they have their starting five together. When when they go Kelly, Dickerson, Eberly, Minshew, and um, Leonard, they're they an above, probably an above average college offensive line. Now, people don't want to hear this because they think they, you know, they get beat, but they, they were solid tonight. They kept Blackman, you know, pretty, pretty well protected. And, um, so, and, Clem- and, and Clemson only beat Wake Forest by 14 in Clemson today. So, I mean, Wake Forest is not a bad team. And Florida State played a decent game against Miami. But, you know, I've been saying for a while now that Florida State has issues. I've been saying it since, you know, people wanted to get caught up in, in Florida State's ending last year with with how they closed and, and, and won games. Uh, down the stretch and won that bowl game. And I think that bowl game was like a big I, – I don't know. It, it's just been funny to me the way fans take bowl games. After Florida State got blown out by Oregon and Houston in back-to-back bowl games, the narrative was, oh, bowl games don't matter that much. When you know, mm-hmm. and, and then as soon as they beat Michigan in the bowl game, it was like, oh, my God, Florida State's back, all this. And I think – that kind of general optimism, I don't I don't think it's directly affected the decisions that have been made to hold on to coaches or let go of coaches. But um it kinda allowed Jimbo to save face last year after an ugly start with like hideous losses to who was it, UNC, um, the Louisville, the sixty three twenty game. Um Yeah, I mean those those hideous losses Bottom line is changes should have been made on defense after you give up 37 points to UNC and Doe Campbell Stadium and 63 points to Louisville. Those two games right there with the talents that Florida State has on defense, they're, they're inexcusable. And now you're seeing that manifest itself. Uh, there should have been a new defensive coordinator on staff to start the season, and it's costing FSU again and even probably to a greater degree, not necessarily as ugly, but to the tune of more losses because you don't have a guy like Dalvin Cook on offense to cover up some of your issues that you have on offense as well. So, I mean, I think it's just all combined to, like... Going in and expecting uh, this year, a lot of people are like, man, we're really going to miss Dalvin. Well, people are finding out right now. Well, yeah, yeah that, that was the funny Dalvin. thing. Yeah. Everybody knew they were going to miss Dalvin, but I don't think... I mean, we and I've been saying it for forever, not necessarily... I'm not going to call myself like an oracle and say that I predicted that they'd struggle this bad offensively this year, but, I, you know... How much did Dalvin do for that offense in terms of bailing Florida State out on long runs? So many times. And, you know, just like bailing them out and and scoring for them on the drop of a hat. And I think it masked some of the – like the offense has some issues that were masked by that. And now they're fully out in the open along with FSU's issues on defense being fully out in the open. And that's why you have a start where you're one and three and have went from number three in the country to beyond unranked not receiving votes at all, you know, in in six weeks of a season. It's, you know, just the perfect storm. And it's funny to see how all these fans that that wanted to forgive and forget in terms of those bad performances um, from a Charles Kelly coach defense um, at the start of last year, you know, this is not necessarily your doing because I don't think Jimbo was going to do anything no matter what. But, um you know it's just all kind of manifested and it's like look what you know this is what you supported and now this is what you're getting yeah yeah a lot of inconsistencies and there's got to be some fires this offseason yeah no and and i'll just add one last thing Uh, a lot of state fans i guess like to kind of say oh you know when the offense plays bad and try to let charles kelly's defense off the hook 
by saying, you know, they, they were on the field too long. Uh, Florida State had the ball for 10 minutes more than Miami did today. So that wasn't a factor for those two late drives going down the field. Um, yeah, interesting fact. So just interesting, interesting fact. There. But uh, I think we can kind of sign off. Um, this was a really long instant reaction episode. <laughs> I, but I think it was expected. I think, I think there's just a lot to talk about. Yeah, there there was a lot of talk, and we sat together during the game, and we wrote some notes down on some certain things that we thought was interesting. But we'll see uh, the Keith Gavin injury. We'll see about that. We'll have to hear from Jimbo. Um, and we're going to have to see what um, comes ahead and what lies ahead for FSU going into Duke um, this upcoming weekend. Um, there's no buys for Florida State for the rest of the season, so it's going to be straight game after game after game, and it, it, we'll just have to and, see how Florida State and deals. And not only game after game, but home game, away game, home game, away game, so there's never any yeah. long home stands where they're able to spend a couple weeks at home and yeah. and figure things out. So uh, We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see, but guys, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, we're going to sign out. If you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, we are on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star, that helps us a whole lot. Yeah. Other guys, we'll be back on Thursday for our regular episodes. We'll be pre- preview- previewing um, Duke and Corey and Ryan. will have an interesting argument about... The Miami game because they were arguing already before it and Corey is definitely gonna come after Ryan about what he said. But y'all look forward to that. Um y'all have a good night and um we'll see where it goes from here, right? Yep, signing off. Um make sure to give us that five star rating if you enjoy the podcast. See you guys, have a good night. <laughs>